going in the last the last verse of the 59th chapter today where we're studying about this covenant that the Messiah had made, this Redeemer that had came forward. It says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thine mouth, nor out of the mouth of thine seed, nor out of the mouth of thine seed, seed, says the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Looking at this statement, we know that it's not the covenant that he's talking about at this time in which he made uh, in the, the old covenant, which was short because he found fault with the make with with the people in that covenant. And this is a new covenant. This is a much better covenant. The Messiah, that the one that redeemed them in the twentieth verse, this is a covenant that he's making a will make with the people. We know that it talks about this covenant in the 32nd through the 36th chapter of Jeremiah, this new covenant that he made was going to make with the people had been seeded throughout the Old Testament, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, where he talks about this covenant because the law was given, but that covenant was just a shadow. It was just showing something. Okay, it was just showing uh the people where they had transgressed his laws, but this covenant was weak through the flesh. We know this is the new covenant, the spiritual covenant, but it had to come along. He made this covenant in conjunction with that circumcision covenant, the covenant of circumcision that he made with Abraham. I don't know if we'll get that far this afternoon, but we'll get maybe get there Wednesday. We're just going to talk about this twice while we're talking about this covenant. Uh, The Amplified reads, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, which is upon you, writing the law of God on the heart. And that's what he does with the new covenant. He writes it up on our heart instead of on tablets of stone. He says, And my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouths of your true spiritual children. The true spiritual children, not necessarily your fleshly or your born children, but the spiritual children that's begotten. Nor from the mouth of your children's children, says the Lord, from now and forever, amen. This divine covenant of circumcision which was typed and shattered in the covenant that he gave to Abraham. It was Abram at that time, but this covenant of circumcision spoken of in Genesis, the 17th chapter says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me with integrity. Know that you're always in my presence and be blameless and complete I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply exceedingly through your descendants. Abraham fell on his face and worshiped, and God spoke with him, saying, As for me, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, 
and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, that is, father of a multitude. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be good to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land in which you are stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. In this covenant, as it becomes a spiritual covenant, it the level of it expands also. It wouldn't be just in Canaan. It would be as the sands of the sea. It would be of the whole earth. Yes. All of the nations, it would encompass all nations, not just Israel and Judah, but it would encompass all nations in Abraham. So we see where there's room here in this type and shadow for God to expand this covenant. And we'll see in, I think it's Hebrews 11 and 8, when he talks about Israel and Judah, about the new covenant. But there's still left room for the inclusion of the Gentiles, which would be pervasive of of being more in this covenant. As a matter of fact, he calls the latter end of it the times of the Gentiles. And he talked about those that he found no greater faith in Israel than it was among the Gentiles. And so we see that this promise, we say covenant, but uh, I think the ample, the living version uses the word uh, promise. And the living reads, as for me, This is my promise to you, to them, says the Lord. My Holy Spirit shall not leave them, and they shall want the the good and hate the wrong. They and their children and their children's children. So the living calls it a promise, but in fact it's a covenant. But as this promise is incorporated of the Spirit, he's saying the Spirit which is the written letter of the law, which is in that he's writing upon their hearts through faith. It's acted out in his promise. The promise was to all this promise of the outpouring of the spirit upon all flesh. So I'm not saying a covenant of pouring out the spirit. I'm saying the promise. And that's why I said the, New Living Version used the word promised as an exchange for covenant there. But it's, it, we'll see here in Ezekiel, I mean the book of Joel, Joel, where this covenant is to all, young and old. Peter recites this in the New Testament in the book of Acts. The book of Joel says, It shall come about after this that I shall pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Uh, The living reads, and after I have poured out my rains again, I will pour out my spirit upon you. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. So 
This is the promise that he had made to Abraham about this covenant that he's going to pull out on his children about this covenant, this circumcision. But it's a spiritual covenant. We're talking about being elevated to a spiritual level, not a covenant of circumcision as was typed and shattered in Abraham circumcising his child. Christ, the giver of this covenant, he says, as for me, I baptize you with water and you're, I don't know what happened here. I didn't, the books got converted off this. I'm going to have to go back and redo your notes on this. But this comes from the book of John. Uh, John, it is, as, as for me, I baptize you with water because of your repentance, that is because you are willing to change your inner way and your old way of thinking. Now, notice that in the book of Isaiah, he says, uh, let me read, I didn't intend to. In the 20th verse of the 59th chapter of Isaiah, notice that the Redeemer shall come to Zion and to them that turn from transgressions in Jacob, saith the Lord. So the redemption is to those that turn that repent from their evilness, from their wickedness. That's why Peter in Acts 2.38 says to repent and baptize. So there is something we do. There is something that's being done, even though it is Christ, it is Jesus through his spirit that is in effect doing this covenant, but it's also something we do. Now, that's not contradictory if we just been studying God's word and been in, in the Bible study as previously. Uh, but it says, as for me, I baptize you with water because of repentance. You remember John came preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes. He came preaching repentance. Uh, I think in all my cutting and pacing, I removed some and put it in part two and took it out of part one, and that may have been what happened here. But John baptized under repentance, that is, as he told the Pharisees, who had warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. In other words, they were to repent, and there are a lot of them in the church, there are a lot of them coming forth that hadn't did that work. In other words, of turning from transgression, they continuing in sin, there are many in the church today that are still living sinful lives. So just like it's not applicable whereby all Israel will be saved, all in the church won't be saved either because it's necessary to actually be born again. And those that are actually born again bring forth fruit that's meat for repentance. But he says, regret your sin and live life for who is coming, he who is coming after me is mightier and more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to remove. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, in the King James, as I read that, when it says that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and then I came back and was studying and looking at it in and the amplified version, because the amplified as in italics, in other words, it's not in the actual tent uh, text, but then this is an addition that they makes for clarity. 
It says he will baptize you, those who truly repent with the Holy Spirit. But unto the unbeliever, those who remain unrepentant with fiery judgment. So that's what makes the word fire after that. It makes it a little bit more sensible or reasonable to me. It's a fire of judgment because as he brings the judgment of God upon the church, his judgment begins on the church. Those that hadn't repented, that hadn't turned, you could be tried by fire, and that fiery judgment's going to be the death. It's going to be the life of some people. It's going to have the, the, the vengeance of the day of the Lord. You remember I told you that vengeance of the day of the Lord is not good for some that's in the church and some that's desiring the day of the Lord because it's not going to be as to be what they expected. Also, this spirit bestowed an answer to prayer. It is given to those an answer to prayer also. Listen at this. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him and to continue to ask? So if a natural father, a natural parent, give children gifts of those, uh, give good gifts to those that ask, wouldn't it be that if we ask for the Spirit of God, if we ask him for this Holy Spirit, he wouldn't withhold that good gift from us, that he would give it to those who ask of him? The reason a lot of us ask is don't have it is because we hadn't asked him. So it comes in petition of prayer and prayer and supplication. It also comes through waiting upon God, waiting upon God, because the instructions to his disciples was what was, and behold, he said, I send the promise of my father upon you. That promise that he was going to send was the spirit. He says, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So the Holy Spirit was promised to them. You remember I said that was the covenantal promise of the Holy Spirit. That's what enjoins you into the covenant. That's the one baptism that brings you into the church, the baptism of the Spirit. And that's what John was saying. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. Uh, So through waiting upon him, we tarry and wait upon the Lord. He says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Uh, It empowers us for service. The Holy Spirit empowers us for service. In the book of Acts, the first chapter and eight verses says, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that is to be able to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. He gives us that power to be a witness because that's one of the purpose that he gives us of his spirit is to glorify him, to be a light unto the world, to go about doing the works that he did. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. There's personal cleansing that precedes this promise also. Acts 2.38, Peter says to them, repent. That is, change your way of thinking, turn you from your sinful ways, from your transgressions, from your way of walking and doing things, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hearing it again is that promise of bringing you into that new covenant, into that receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit, bringing you into being sons of God, being born again, a born again experience. Uh, Now, Jesus, I told you about Isaiah uh, 59 and 21 about this new covenant that he was making and that this was Jesus Christ, the Messiah speaking. In the book of Malachi, we have it again here where Malachi 3 and 1, where it says, Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So Jesus came to this earth as the messenger of the covenant from God. Yes. But in this third, first verse of the third chapter here, we, it mentions two messengers. Notice that it mentions two messengers. He says, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. So that's Jesus speaking that he's going to send another messenger, which was John the Baptist before him. John the Baptist was the one that was sent. He came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. So that's the one we were talking about, that he was saying that he's not worthy to to tie his shoes or whatever, and that he was going to baptize with the spirit. Uh, that first messenger for the second messenger, the messenger of the covenant was John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah for Jesus Christ. It helps us to understand that as the father's messenger, he didn't speak his own words. He's the chief apostle. He's the one that speaks for another. Remember, he said the father had sent him. He was sent by the father. The father sent him to be that messenger. John 8, 38 to 42, John 12, 49 and 50 confirms what we're saying here, that he didn't come with his own message. This is what the father had said. He come with that authority from heaven that God had given him. John 8, 38 through 42 says, I tell the things that I have seen at my father's side, that is in his very presence. So you also do the things that you heard from your father. They answered, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, you know, if you were truly Abraham's children, then do the works of Abraham and follow his example. But as it is, you want to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This is not the way Abraham acted. You're not doing the works of your, you you are, in other words, Abraham didn't act like that. You're doing the works of your own father. And he says, they said him to him, what do you mean? We are not illegitimate children. We have one father and that is God. But Jesus said to them, If God were your father, 
which is he's not, you would have loved me and recognized me, for I came from God, from out of his very presence, and I have arrived here. For I am not even come on my own initiative, but he is the one who had sent me. He didn't come. They were of their father, the devil. That's why they were trying to kill him. God wasn't their father. In other words, in, they had been created in his image, in their father's image, which was a liar and a murderer. Whereas Jesus Christ stood for God and he was sent for God. And if they were from God, they would have recognized who he was. That's why the sermon yesterday when I say Knowing Jesus and God the Father, you would know that Jesus and God the Father are one. Yes. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he had came and he's the express image of the Father. Amen. John 12, chapter 49 through the 50 verse says, For I have never spoken on my own, my own initiative or authority. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment regarding what to say and what to do. I know that his commandments is eternal life, so the things I speak, I speak in accordance with his exact instructions, just as his Father told me. And we know that he did this because he never sinned and he wasn't opinionated. In other words, this wasn't of him, this was of the Father. He was just like we should be as ambassadors of Christ. We should say that which Christ think because our thoughts and ways are not like God's and we should replicate his thoughts and ways. Thus, the message he brought is not primarily about himself Mm -hmm. and the spirit testifies of him, but he didn't testify of himself because he could have, he says, because of the witness that the witness would confirm it. But it's the father that testifies of him. It's the father that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This does not in any way discount Jesus in any way as he is the most important person that ever lived. But he did come in place and with the authority of another. The works that he did and what he was doing was appointed by the father and he wasn't usurping the father's authority of the, anything of the father. He came as one that was sent from God. Yes. <clears throat> the church, the church, we were talking about this new covenant Zion, that this covenant is the same. Isaiah, the 66th chapter, the seventh through the eighth verse says, before she, that is Zion was in labor, she gave birth. Before her labor pain came, she gave birth to a boy who has heard of such a thing, who has seen such a thing. Can a land be born in one day or can a nation be brought forth in a moment? As soon as Zion was in labor, she also brought forth her sons. Now, I have that in a footnote. There's a footnote by can a land be born in one day? Because the physical Israel that's there now, as typed and shattered, there's always a type of shadow, but we know anything that man creates can be perverted or corrupted. And that Israel that's there now has been corrupted mm-hmm. just as the first Israel was corrupted 
that went went out because you remember God says that they wouldn't have a king or whatever and that he cursed Jeconiah and so they wouldn't have a king in that sense or whatever and that's this Israel has become corrupted but it's the example of Israel coming back as a nation uh never in history have a world had such a thing happened before as foretold here in Ezekiel 31:22 Ezekiel 37, 21 to 22, Israel became a recognized nation actually born in one day after being away from their homeland for almost 2,000 years. The Jews were given a national homeland in Palestine by the Balfour Declaration in November 1917. And in 1922, the League of Nations have gave Great Britain the mandate over Palestine. On May 14, 1948, Great Britain withdrew her mandate and immediately Israel was declared a sovereign state and her growth and importance among nations was astonishing. But that's just a footnote as to how that Israel came about today. And we know that God works through means and instruments and by means of men, that's how the nation of Israel was reestablished in Palestine today. Not validating their spiritual birth of their circumcision. Mm-hmm. Remember, we're talking that that's physical and we're talking spiritual here. Yes. The New Testament shows that God has not broken his pattern. Uh, a new Israel is being formed And this new Israel that's being formed is a people from all ethnic backgrounds. It's not just as the Jews are over in Palestine killing the Palestinians or whatever. If it was a spiritual aspect, they would realize as the Jewish students, I tell you, at the colleges and things that's protesting, saying that we all should be one and this is not the way to do it through physical violence, through destruction and And that's not how God brings about his spiritual meaning. The kingdom of God is expanding through the Israel of God. That's how the kingdom of God that's coming is through the preaching and the proclamation of God through this divine covenant, this divine covenant of circumcision that that Jesus Christ is putting together, the ones that the Father had given him. Peace and mercy, Galatians 6.16 says, Peace and mercy be upon all of those who walk by this rule. In other words, the ones who discipline themselves and conduct their lives by this principle. And upon the true Israel of God, the true Israel of God, the one that believe with a circumcised heart. That's the true Israel of God. Whereas what's in the world is not real. The physical world is not real. The spiritual world is what's real. This ties directly into Revelations 19 and the marriage of the Lamb because it is this Israel, the Israel of God, the spiritual organism consisting of people of all nations that will marry Christ, the Lamb. That's the ones that the church is. That's what's going to be the wedding supper of the Lamb, the union of those two. We can see a progression here. First, there's one man, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. 
He was chosen by God, even though his brother was first born. He was chosen by God. All of those now, I remember I told you it, that remnant, that chosen group that are being chosen by God and giving, given to Jesus Christ, the son, and he's the author and the finisher of their faith. Those are the Israel of God. Those are the set aside ones. Next, the descendants of Israel was chosen from the nations of the world, even though other nations were larger, greater, and stronger. Then as God's plans kept going, the, as God's plan takes off with the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you remember I say, it cost God something to redeem us and bring us back into existence. And I tell you, all of the real world is dead in sin and transgressions. Just like Jacob was typed and shattered as being pulled from among the other kingdoms. And he was chosen and then Israel was chosen. Jacob was chosen. And then that become the church of God. Well, here, Jesus Christ, with his sacrifice, And the giving of the Holy Spirit first chooses the Israelites from then, from all of the ethnic groups. Whoever Jesus Christ chooses and makes his covenant with, that covenant that we're talking about here in the 21st verse of chapter 59, those that he made that covenant with in which he writes his name on their hearts, it's a spiritual circumcision a circumcision of a heart, those are the ones that he's making his covenant with, not the physical. Yes, yes. Not the physical, because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So it's spiritual. I I hope I'm breaking that down far enough for you to understand. Then all of the ethnic groups choosing and putting them together in the body of Christ, though he says the members of the church are weak and foolish, all of those that are a part of the body of Christ, he strengthens those and gives them his wisdom, his knowledge and understanding through a transformation of the mind, a changing of the mind. That is the inner man, the inner process of thinking. So the Israel of God is formed to marry Jesus Christ. We're his bride. This is why the Gentiles have to become Israelites. In fact, all of us have to become real Israelites, that is, spiritual Israelites, even though they may be genetically, even though that the children of Abraham that are physical Israel, they have to become spiritual Israelites also, in that all of them, as I was telling you about the Pharisees that says that they have Abraham to their father, and Jesus says, if Abraham truly was your father, you wouldn't be going about to try to kill me, but you of your father, the devil. Yes. So they saying they wasn't born in fornication. No, but you are of your father, the devil. Yes. You won't be saved because God is not your father because you wasn't chosen by God. Yes. So all of Israel won't be saved even though the promise is to all men 
It's a remnant out of each and every ethnic group that will be saved that are chosen for that covenant where he's going to write his name upon the hearts of all. That's studying the covenants of grace and law as we go along. The book of Romans, the second chapter, the 26 to the 38 verse says, Therefore, if the circumcision, if the uncircumcision keeps the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfills the law, judge thee? who by the letter and circumcision doeth transgress the law. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Now you have to, like, that's why it says, study to show yourselves approved. That's a mouthful to read and study in what he's saying there. And what he's saying there, uh, we'll write it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell it to you in the Amplified and in the living. Even though, he says, so if uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded by God as circumcision? If he's uncircumcised and he keeps the law, wouldn't that be counted as being circumcised? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the spirit of the law, will judge you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, break the law, for he is not a real Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. So just because you are a Jew, just because America say that they are Christians and they are not acting as Christians, they are not doing what Christians do, do that make them Christians or more better Christians than other nations and other people who are not saying that they're Christians but are keeping by faith, that are loving their brothers, that love and not kill, that are carrying out through faith what Jesus Christ requires? That's why I say just because you say you're Christian, that doesn't make you Christian. That's just an outward profession or declaration. Here we go in the living. It says... And if the heathen obey God's laws, won't God give them all the rights and honors he planned to give to the Jews? In fact, those heathen will be much better off than you Jews who know so much about God and have his promises, but don't obey his laws. For you are not real Jews just because you were born to Jewish parents or because you have gone through the Jewish initiation ceremony of circumcision. That doesn't make you a Jew. You understand what I'm saying? That's not true spiritual Judaism. In other words, the uncircum here is referring to non-Israelite is ethnic in Greece, those of a different ethnic background. Just because you have a different ethnic background, the real Jew is the one who is one inwardly. What is he talking about? Spiritual conversion. That's what we're talking about, spiritual conversion. This ties in with Galatians 3rd chapter 26 through the 29th verse. Okay, Galatians 3, 3rd chapter 26 through the 29th verse. 
for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. You heirs of that promised covenant. Give me my said the covenant was a promise to Abraham. It came as a promise by faith. Abraham believed God. So it requires faith. Abraham is the father of those that have faith. The father of faith. So faith is what drives this covenant. Is what you can't see. It's believing God's word, believing his promises, brings you into this. For you, let's read that in a different version here. The amplified version says, For you who are born again have been reborn from above, that is spiritually transformed, renewed, and sanctified, and are all children of God, set apart for his purpose with full rights and privileges, you have all of the rights and privileges if you believe, if you have faith, if you've been born again. You're part of this covenant. Yes. Through faith in Christ Jesus, your faith is in the one who is making the covenant, the one who are making the promises. The covenant that he's making and he's writing it up on your hearts to believe. And all of the ones that are birthed by you, and in, in other words, that's why we witness and that's why we try to get others born again or whatever. They become our spiritual children. That's why it says to her that is barren, she will have many more children than her that had a whole lot of physical children. The children comes about, about by working for Christ. He says... For all of you who were baptized into Christ, that is, into a spiritual union with Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, that is, you've taken on the characteristics and values, just like the Pharisees had took on the murdering, lying, cheating, and stealing the works of the flesh. Those was the characteristics of Satan which made them children of Satan. There is now no distinction in regard to salvation. Neither is there Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you who believe are all one in Christ Jesus. No one can claim spiritual superiority. Not just because you're a man. That doesn't make you smarter than a woman. God had, might set authority here for men to hold this position to do something, but we also submit to one another. There are positions that God given him, but we are all the same in Christ Jesus. A pastor is no more than the rest of them. We all sheep. There's only one shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. We all sheep. It says, and if you belong to Christ, and if you are in him, then you are Abraham's descendants. What is required to be Abraham, a part of that Abrahamic covenant, 
was to be in Christ. That's why I say we have to continue in Jesus' word. Continue in the word of God because he's the one that made the covenant. That much better covenant. You are Abraham descendant and spiritual heirs according to God's promise. You remember I said yesterday, Jesus came as a near kinsman redeemer made us co-heirs. So all of us are heirs of God, and that's why Jesus says, now cry, Abba, Father. You can pray, our Father, because now God is your Father. In the Living Version, it says, for now we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And we who have been baptized into union with Christ are enveloped by him. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free men or even merely men or women. But we are all the same. We are our Christians. We are one in Christ Jesus. And now that we are Christ's, we are the true descendants of Abraham. And all of God's promises to him belong to us. Anything he promised Abraham belongs to us also. We heirs to those promises. The ceremonies have been raised or elevated from their physical application to a spiritual application. Some people say, well, the ceremony is raised. and Some scripture says the ceremony was done away with, the handwriting of ordinances. Man, I'm glad I don't have to go out and kill a lamb or kill a bull or wring the neck off of a bird and throw blood on somebody and all of these things. The handwriting of ordinances, Christ says it is finished in him. We're complete in him. All of this has been satisfied. So God's promises to Abraham have all of mankind is spiritually blessed through Abraham's one great descendant that is Jesus Christ. You remember I told you yesterday, it all began with the Protean in the book of Genesis 3.15 the promised seed the seed of the woman that's in Jesus Christ the one who redeemed us who reconciled us to God and you remember I say knowing God knowing Jesus God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself so if you know Jesus you know God because as he told Philip If you have known me, you have known the Father. Here in Romans 2.28, Paul is using Jew in a spiritual sense. In this sense, Jew includes any converted person, even a Gentile, because of the way Paul is using the word Jew. It indicates the church as the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, Colossians 1, 8 and 18. When we recognize what is written in Hebrews 7, 14, it is evident that our Lord was of the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ was a Jew by birth. Therefore, since he was a Jew, we are part of the body of Christ. As the Bible's imagery, therefore, we are spiritual Jews. Because we are spiritual Jews, we are spiritual Israelites. So it doesn't matter about race, ethnicity, 
uh, gender, or any of that, if we are converted, we are Jews in the eyes of God because we are all part of the body of Christ. It's one body. That's the spiritual application. Uh, Hebrews 8 and 8, I told you earlier if I got to it, Hebrews 8 and 8 says, However, about this covenant, however God finds fault with them, that is showing an inadequacy in the people. It was weak. The first covenant was weak through the flesh. He had given them a heart to believe. When he says, Behold, the days will come, says the Lord, when I will make and ratify a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The new covenant will be made with Israel and with Judah without any mention of the Gentiles there, but it's the same covenant. He's talking about bringing that old covenant in conjunction with this new covenant. He's talking about Israel and the Jews. It's not two separate new covenants. It's one covenant. But he was saying that that old covenant was weak. He found fault through it because of the weakness, the infirmities of their flesh. Yet in other areas of the Bible, it contains a great deal about the Gentiles, so much that Jesus Christ himself says that we were entering into the times of the Gentiles. So throughout the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah and all of this, we see foreshadows of him being a light to the Gentiles of this new covenant of the Gentiles coming in. Paul's ministry, Paul's whole ministry was to the Gentiles. You remember he said, Peter go to the Jews. He was going to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are certainly a part of the new covenant, but that one verse in Hebrew 8.8 was talking about the Jews in Israel and aspect of bringing them to see that this covenant specifically that was talking about them is also part of this larger new covenant. It's a better covenant. It includes all men. Circumcised in the mind. You remember I told you this new covenant was a circumcision of the mind. He was making to where he was going to write the laws on the mind. And I tell you the mind, the noose, the seat of understanding, the place, the heart, in other words, this this muscle here, you go write the laws in the heart. The mind is the heart, the seat of understanding. It's not this muscle that pumps blood in your chest. The mind. The mind is where all this exists. It's where your thought processes. That's why it says, let that same mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. Genesis 17 and 10 says, This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man, child among you shall be circumcised. Okay, but you remember I says there's no longer any male or female. So that means we all should be circumcised. But we're not talking of physical circumcision, but it covers this covenant of what he said in this covenant is inclusive of this new covenant. The ordinance of circumcision was an outward physical sign of one's willingness to obey God and one of his chosen people. Under the new covenant, God is calling a spiritual nation composed of individuals 
converted and regenerated by his Holy Spirit. Just like uh, the Pentecostals get, get upset with me when I was teaching. I used to be in a Pentecostal church. This used to be a Pentecostal church at one time until we got out of the UPC. And baptism is a sign. It's an outward identification. It's a identifying with the body of Christ, a washing. It types and shadows burial in Jesus Christ. Yes. Baptism is a work. You're not saved by works. You born again, the spirit, the circumcision of the heart. So nowhere is, that's why Paul was trying to explain this in the book of Corinthians. He said, I baptized none of you. Well, if baptism was so necessary, why would Paul say he didn't baptize any of them but Gaius and one or two others that he had baptized? And that if we go into Hebrews, the third, six, the third or sixth chapter, I think it's the sixth chapter of Hebrews, he says, laying aside the doctrines of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of all these other things, let us go on to perfection. Baptism is a work. It's just like a wedding ring is an outward sign of identification of being married. But you can go around without a wedding ring and still be married. You don't have to ring. That ring is as a sign. It's an outward identification of something that was happened. But believe me, they got papers and things on you at the courthouse. If you don't feel like you married, you walk away from that marriage and see, don't she sue you or whatever because you're married whether you have that ring on, that outward identifying sign or not. So this inward process that takes place in us, the baptism is an outward sign of what you identifying with the body of Christ, you being washed. So whether you're a Baptist, the Baptists argue over whether be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Pentecostals say you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus and you got to go back and baptize all of these people over. There's one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. The baptism in the Spirit is that baptism. You, that's why John said he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's what brings you in the church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptized means to immerse, to cover with a stain or a dye, to cover you with the blood of Christ, to bring you into church, into the church. That's why it says the Spirit added unto the church as such that should be saved. Not water. There's some people that's been baptized I don't know how many different times. Went up, went down a dry center and came up a wet center. That baptism didn't change them. Baptism doesn't save you. Under the new covenant here, God's people are now called spiritually circumcised. Physical circumcision is no longer necessary for religious purposes. Now you can get circumcised for different reasons or whatever, different medical necessities or whatever, health reasons or whatever, but that's not what it, what's at issue here. Uh, type of what God really wanted is the circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the heart. He states that in Deuteronomy 10 and 16. Deuteronomy 30 and 6 says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise their heart, thine heart and the heart of thine seed, and 
with circumcised and heart in the heart of thine seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul that thou mayest live. So he speaks here in Deuteronomy 30 and 6 of the circumcision of the heart. That's bringing you into a covenant because he didn't give them a heart to believe. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4 and 4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of your evil doings. The Amplified says, Circumcise, that is, dedicate or sanctify yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins. The foreskins is a sign of sin, as a type or symbol of sin. Remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah. Paul told the congregation in Rome that physical circumcision is of no spiritual benefits. The book of Romans, the second chapter, the 25th through the 29th verse. Spiritual circumcision, though, is a spiritual process of conversion. Spiritual circumcision is a process of conversion. And I told you all of these things were processing. That redemption was a process. That sanctification is a process. All of these are processes that we go through. That Christ circumcises us spiritually is made plain in Second Colossians. In Colossians, the second chapter, the 10th through the 11th verse, it says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins by the flesh of the circumcision of Christ. The circumcision that's made without hands, it's a circumcision of the heart. Amplified reads, And in him you have been made complete, that is, achieving spiritual stature through Christ, and he is the head over all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but by the spiritual circumcision of Christ in the stripping off of the body of the flesh, those sinful carnal desires. So Christ circumcised us with a circumcision not made with hands. It's a spiritual circumcision. Remember, none of this is carnal. None of our weapons are carnal. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. This is why the assembled apostles and elders of the New Testament church, you remember they had the church council in Jerusalem with James and John and Peter and all of them came and they was at that assembly in the book of Acts, the 15th chapter, the 24th verse and the 28th verse at that council they were having, it says, For as much as we have heard that there went out from us, having troubled you with words, subverting souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandments. There are always going to be those that are heretical that are in the church saying things that shouldn't be said, that's not authorized for them to say. The apostles had a council saying, we didn't say this. Circumcision is not necessary. It's some people that's trying to profit off of you, trying to make themselves look good. Yeah. That circumcision is of no necessity. 
in the New Testament era. Verse 28 says, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that they abstain from things strangled with blood, abstain from fornication, abstain from certain things, but circumcision wasn't one that they said that you should do. It is for entirely non-religious reasons that one may decide to be circumcised or have his son circumcised. As I just said, there's some evidence that circumcision promotes cleanliness and health depending on the male's overall cleanliness, morality, and health. Choosing the new man in Deuteronomy, I tell you, another occasion was Deuteronomy 10 and 16. Deuteronomy 10, 16 says, So circumcise your heart and be you stiff-necked and be stiff-necked no longer. Therefore, cleanse your sinful hearts and stop your stubbornness. Two parties are necessary to circumcise the foreskin of our heart. And that's what I said. There's no contradiction here. Where God says that he was going to do it. He makes the covenant. But you remember two parties to a covenant even though Abraham didn't do nothing in that covenant that he walked between the animals and that God ratified that covenant, he did keep the scavengers off from lighting onto the carcasses. A lot of people want a salvation where they say, Jesus did everything. We don't have to do anything. That's a wrong view of salvation. Faith has works. James says a faith without works is a dead faith. There are works within a faith. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, God tells us to circumcise the foreskins of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. But here he commands us to do the circumcising. Compare this to Deuteronomy 36, what we discussed earlier, where God says he will perform the circumcision. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. As I said, They don't contradict one another. God cannot create a perfect righteous character. That is the character of the new man unilaterally by fiat. In other words, as I told you, it's a process of developing the character. We pull off the old man. We die daily. We put on the new man. It's a character that's created in us through our walk in Christ Jesus that's why it says it's already been done, but we have to walk there. We're elaborating a yoke. You remember I told you yesterday, we yoke fellas. In other words, we're walking together, each one of us helping the other one. And that's why it says, forsake not the fellowshipping of ourselves. And we were so happy to see our guest last week that came in from such a distance. That's, that was a mighty impact from driving. That's over an hour, hour and a half ride from Natchez or whatever. But when you see others searching and seeking for God and seeking to be made right, that's when God starts to reward your efforts. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be work. It's not going to be toil, but it will be work. And he's going to reward us for those things that we do and he's going to form a character in us. Heavenly Father, as we come before